Every entrepreneur needs legal counsel. I know, as early entrepreneurs, we often have more expenses than we have money, and so we keep putting off getting legal counsel. Intellectual property attorney Devin Miller talks about patents, copyrights, trademarks, and when exactly you should start thinking about getting these things. I think you definitely should listen in because there's so much value in this episode. Stay tuned. Welcome to Reinventing Perspectives. Today we have Devin Miller, and he is the CEO of Miller IP Law. Devin, we're so excited to have you on. Please introduce yourself to our audience. Yeah, and there's uh, plenty to introduce or give you a quick introduction. Father of four, been married for 13 years uh, to my wife that I met in college. Kids are uh, ages four to 10, oldest is a boy and then three girls. And then I am, as you mentioned, the CEO and uh, founder of Miller IP Law. It's an intellectual property law firm that helps startups and small businesses with patents, trademarks, copyrights, and other things. And I've been doing that for about three years after working uh, previously in my career for some of the top law firms working for larger clients like uh, Amazon and Intel and Red Hat. And then a little bit of educational background. I got um, four degrees, which my wife always jokes is three degrees too many. So I got one in electrical engineering, uh, Mandarin Chinese. I got my law degree and then I got an MBA or master's of business administration. So that's uh, just a brief introduction, a bit about myself. Wow, you've been busy. <laughs> I, like to, I like to keep my keep myself out of trouble and keep busy. So it works out well. Well, Devin, tell us how you got started in this journey of entrepreneurship. Like what led to all of this? Yeah, I mean, in one sense, it's probably one where I grew up and, and saw my dad. He uh, did a few of his own businesses, started his own engineering firm. He also worked for larger businesses and kind of saw that back and forth of, you know, both of it. Beyond that, probably just uh, a little bit of innate or just kind of uh, grew up. Always thought, thought that startups and small businesses were interesting and fun. So when I went to school, got the degrees. And as I was getting to the end of uh, undergraduate, I kind of had it a bit of a crossroads. And since I love the business and aspect of it, so I thought about doing the MBA I thought the legal aspect looked interesting. So I thought about the law degree. And then rather than choose, I decided to do both. And so that's kind of been a bit of the mantra of uh, my career in the sense that I've done several startups and small businesses continue to be actively involved with some. I also do my own law firm. So I tend to kind of mesh those together and have fun doing both sides of both startups and small businesses on the legal side, as well as doing my own. What is your favorite startup story? I'll give you a couple. One, if, if I were to look at one of the fun startup stories that I always think is interesting, how Netflix got started. And there's a, a fun book, Love and Enjoy. It's called That Will Never Work. And it's kind of the story of uh, Mark Randolph, which is the original CEO of Netflix, and how he was going back with Reed Hastings. Before Netflix, they're going back and forth with the job. They would uh, carpool and commute, and he'd always pitch ideas off of them. And so he'd say, hey, you know, what about mail order customized shampoo or animal, you know, animal food that's customized for each animal? And, you know, you have some crazy ideas. And then one of the ones that he came up with was Netflix. Why don't we rent videos? And this time was really the video cassettes in the mail and he said well that will never work and then it, it goes on from there and they wouldn't have worked with video cassettes but dvds were just coming out at the time so they got into dvds threw in through a cd in the mail to see if it would actually work it made it through the mail and didn't break and that was a start of the company so i always thought that was kind of a cool one if i were to get now into my own businesses probably the the real first business i ever did was the, the one i like and enjoy and that was one that i started in mba school so i was doing give you kind of context i was doing the law degree 
the MBA at the same time. So I was uh, doing both of those degrees. I had a two-year-old at the time. We just had a newborn. I was working 20 hours a week as a law clerk. And then I said, oh, you know, it, trying to think back, I can't remember, but it was either a flyer or an email and I can't remember which, but it was one of those saying, hey, there's a business competition where you get together with multidisciplinary. So you'll get engineers and law and business and designers and you'll form teams and you'll all get together and enter in the competition. So I went there not knowing anybody, joined the team. We got together. We entered the first uh, year with uh, something that made gym bags less smelly. Didn't really go anywhere. Took second place. And then we were all juniors at the time. So next year came back as um, all seniors. And we all got together and said, you know, what do we want to do? Do we want to do something? So we had some crazy ideas. One of the ones I came up with was, wouldn't it be cool? And this was the days before Fitbit or the Apple Watch or any of those to have a wearable or a watch that could tell you your hydration level. I just got into marathon running and thought that would be nice to have. So that was kind of the genesis. Started that, built a prototype with my dad over Christmas and uh, entered the business competition. Took second place again. That was bittersweet. And then uh, bought out all the business partners and continued on with that business. And that business has actually continued on. It's merged with another business. I still actively involved with it. And it's now a nine-figure business. So that was the fun businesses that I started all the way back in MBA school. That's exciting. First of all, when you said what was going on in your life at that time, I was like, oh, <laughs> how did you keep your head on? I uh, didn't sleep much and was always busy. I always joke with my wife or when anybody ever asked me what my hobby is, it's usually I, I like startups as a hobby. So usually my mind, if it tends to wander, or if I'm doing something just for fun, it's, it's on the startup end. Devin, since we're talking about startups, what is the common mistake that you see startups making when it comes to IP? Yeah, probably the biggest mistake, and it's one that I definitely get, is that they wait too long to figure out what IP they need in the sense that most of the time as a startup or a small business, you have more things to spend money on than money to spend. And so you're always kind of trying to delay things, cut corners, do it yourself or anything else. And so a lot of times, you know, startups and that are worried about by going to an attorney is going to be expensive. I may not even need it or I need to hold off. And so if you're to do a, a patent as an example and take that, you know, there's a year deadline within which if you put anything out into public, so you put your invention on a website, you go to a trade show, you do a presentation, you start selling it, whatever it is, you have a year from which you can file a patent on it. If you don't, then you've basically just lost the rights to it and you've donated to the public domain. Anybody can do it. And so that's one where, you know, oftentimes startups, they'll come into my office, say, okay, we've been doing this for a couple of years. We finally got a, a bit of traction. We saved up. We'd like to get a patent on it. And then it's the uncomfortable or conversation saying, that's great that you have a great business. You have a great product. Unfortunately, I can't help you because you miss a year window. And there's overlaps with that with trademarks and copyrights and other things. But oftentimes they wait too long because they don't know their deadlines or don't know that there are things that they should be doing now. And so my best advice to, on that is to at least meet with an attorney, get a strategy, get a plan. Even if you can't get started for another six months, a year, two years, whenever that is, at least know your deadlines, at least get a strategy and a plan in place so that you know as those come along what you should be anticipating, what you'd be looking at. Wow, I didn't know that either. You know what, Devin, maybe you can take us back a little bit and just begin by setting out what is intellectual property so that everybody can be on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. So intellectual property is really an umbrella term. So um, it really encompasses kind of three things. Patents, trademarks, copyrights are kind of all under the umbrella of intellectual property. So patents are going to go towards an invention, something that does something. It has a function 
functionality, a utility, and that can be software, hardware, uh, electronics, you know, anything of that nature, anything that's an invention that does something, that's a patent. Trademarks are going to be more on the brand. So if you think of name of a company, name of a business, a catchphrase, a logo, anything of that nature, anything that's really to do with branding, it typically falls under trademarks. If you go to copyrights, that's something more really on the creative side. So if you write a book, you do, you do a video, you do a podcast, you do a te- television show, a movie, a sculpture, a painting, anything of that nature where it's more on that creative side, a photo or anything else, that's what's going to fall under copyrights. And so when you look at intellectual property, patents for inventions, trademarks for brands, copyrights for creatives. And new entrepreneur be thinking, at what point do I need those things? the easiest answer as early as possible. I get that you don't always have the budget, you don't always have the funds. And so if I were to start out, get your business going, get it up and running, because if, if you don't ever get sales, you don't get it going, it's never going to get anywhere. With that in mind, when do you need to do it? Well, I would step back and say, why do you need it first? Or what is it that you need? And that helps you to answer when you need it in the sense that when you're looking at your business, what I would look at is what is core to your business? What is your business built around? And if it's going to be, we're going to create great inventions, we're going to make the next best iPhone or the next best widget or whatever it is. And we're really going to do a whole bunch of research and development, develop something that's going to be a patent because you're going to be really looking at the core of your business is a product or something that you're making. On the other hand, you may say, no, we're really not making anything new, but what we're doing is we're offering great customer service. or we're going to be a great brand or we have a great story to tell, or we have great SEO or whatever it is such that we can outcompete on that side. Then you're saying, we're really just creating a brand. Or if you're an author and you're writing the next best book or you're doing a, you know, a painter, you're taking photos, look and see what is first is a core to your business and what you're building it around. And then you say, okay, now that I understand, okay, I'm doing whichever, let's say it was a brand, then when do I anticipate that that brand's going to be built bigger? Meaning if I'm going to start out and I'm going to service a local community, then you can hold off for a bit. You don't need to go as quickly because the risk of somebody taking your brand or copying it is lower. On the other hand, you're saying, no, we're going to blow this up. We're going to go nationwide. We got funding. We're going to, you know, do all this advertising and marketing, and we're really going to build a brand around it. Well, then you probably want to do it much earlier on because you're putting a lot of time, money, and effort to build that brand. You want to make sure that you have it protected such that somebody else doesn't ride those coattails or copy or anything else. And it works pretty well across all of them. Same thing with a patent. If you're going to be putting a lot of R&D and research and development, you want to make sure that you don't put all this effort into developing a product that somebody else patents first or otherwise you can't even have a clear path forward to. And then you're basically don't have any way way to leverage all that time, money, and effort you put into developing it. So that's kind of how I would start to approach that. Now, David, as a serial entrepreneur, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned in all the ventures that you've done as startups? I worked with hundreds of uh, startups, small businesses. I've done several myself. I also do a podcast, which is the Inventive Journey, where I talk with a ton of startups and small businesses. So all of it, it really boils down to about the same. Both what I've found, what others have found is get rid of the excuses and just get going in the sense that you're always going to find a reason. I, you know, I could look back and say, hey, I was in school. I was busy. I was studying. Not a good time to do it. Or you're brand new father, you have kids, or hey, I've I just started out in my career and I need to establish myself or get experience. And then you get a little bit older and say, well, now I'm farther into my career. I can't make the jump because I need to have stability until my kids get out of the house. And then your kids get out of the house and you're saying, well, my kids are out of the house now. Now I'm looking towards retirement. I really don't want to, you know, put my retirement at risk. And so there's always that excuse. You can always figure out a reason why not to start, why not to get going. And yet almost
almost without exception, every startup entrepreneur that gets into it and enjoys it and, you know, and does it says, I wish I'd get started earlier. I wish I jumped in. I wish I dived in, wish I hadn't made excuses. And so that I think is the biggest takeaway is as simple as it is, is quit making excuses, try it out. Even if you start small, even if you start as a side hustle or anything else, if you have interest in doing your own business, figure out a way to get going on it and get, and start it. That's true. There's always a reason. You can always find many, many reasons. And after listening to you talk about your education, electrical engineering, Chinese, MBA, and law. Why Mandarin? It's actually a pretty simple answer. So I went to school, I went to university, took about a year, was doing an electrical engineering as an undergraduate, decided to go serve a religious mission for my church. So I went and served in Taiwan for a couple of years. Taiwan also speaks Mandarin Chinese, same as mainland China. And so when I came back, I said, well, I've already spent a couple of years, learned the language, have a pretty good understanding of it. Why don't I add it on as a second degree? So that was really just a thought process of it wasn't necessarily going to be the focus of my career, but I figured I, you know, I've already have, a, I can clep out, I can test out a decent amount of the classes. I, you know, I still enjoy it. like to keep up on the language skills of the degree I can. So I add that on as another degree as I was going along. That's really great. Cause when I saw Mandarin, I was like, is it a business thing? Like, is, you know how we always thinking about the way the world is moving and how April is now learning Chinese. I was like, Devin was on that real early. I wish I could take credit or I would sound like I had better foresight or knowledge than I did. It was really just a matter of that's where I ended up serving a mission for a couple of years. And so I figured I might as well add it on as another degree because why not? Since you have your podcast, the inventive journey mm -hmm. yep is someone just a natural inventor or how do you i don't know bring that out in yourself or train yourself to think in that way i think it can go both i think there's some people that either i don't know if it's born that way or it's just the way they're raised or experience they had but from a fairly young age they know that they want to be a business person you know they're the people that are starting the lemonade stands or they're going around doing odd jobs or they're trying to figure something out so i think some people are naturally born that way and i think other people aren't necessarily born that way but they learn to love it or they fall into to it. Some people, you know, they say, hey, this really just started out of something that was a fun or personal interest or kind of just a side hobby. And then it kept, you know, kept growing and people wanted to pay me for it or they wanted to purchase it. And so I started into a business. So they weren't necessarily starting out as an entrepreneur or even wanting to be one, but they kind of had that opportunity, decided to chase after it. So I, I see it pretty well both. Now, Dylan, since you said you built the prototype with your dad over the holidays. What do you need to do to actually build something? Because I'm thinking of an audience that is listening. Maybe someone's sitting with an idea and they don't know what to do to bring it to life. If I were to go all the way back, my thought process was, hey, this sounds cool. Let's see if we could figure it out and build it. And my dad was also an engineer. So he also has an electrical engineering degree. He had a, a good amount of experience in medical devices. So I thought, hey, who would know more about this? I don't know a ton about it. I got an idea. Now let's, I'll, you know, bounce it off, kind of explore what that might mean and how we might approach it. So in that sense, it was pretty simple. Every entrepreneur, oh, it shouldn't take that hard. It should be that much money or take that much time, which is always incorrect. But it always starts out that, oh, it shouldn't be that hard. I could probably do something. But I would say if, if you have an idea it's contrary to some ideas are a dime a dozen in the sense that everybody has great ideas. You talk with most people, they have this idea or they had an idea and they say, oh, now it's out in the marketplace and somebody else is making all this money for it. I thought about that 10 years ago. But most people you talk with, they either have an idea that they want to chase down or they've had one that somebody else has already done. But, you know, ideas are easy. It's the implementation. So I would really start out and I hate the terminology minimally viable product. It's used in industry and I get what it is, but it always sounds to me as, hey, I'm going to put out the crappiest product 
product I can as quick as I can. You know, I don't know that that's the intent of it. It's not that it's going to put out a piece of junk just to put it out, but you're saying, let's focus on the core of what the product is and then see what we need to do to actually start to test it out in the marketplace, which that I think is a better definition. It's just got in a direction that I disagree with. Um, So I would start out and kind of say, hey, what is the business? What is the idea? And then even before you start making it, before you might start getting the prototype, go out and try and sell it. Go out and try and get pre-orders or pitch it. Don't do it to your family because your family is always too nice. They're always going to tell you it's a great idea and they'll probably give you a little money just because they want to support you. But go out to strangers and say, hey, I'm, I'm doing this idea. We have, we're working on developing it. Would you want a pre-order or would you want to, you know, sign up and get some? And if they say, well, you know, that's not really what I want to do or that's not, you know, it's a great idea, but I would never buy it. Then either you've got one or two problems, either it's not a good idea because nobody will pay you for it or you need to listen to the feedback as to why people aren't going to purchase it or the third one is they say yeah it sounds like a great product i'd love to buy it let me know when it's going to go live and here's you know pre-order or here's my information to contact me but go out and challenge it and then once you have that much and you've been able to describe it to someone to be able to pitch it to someone then you just really have no other choice go out and build it build something that's that minimally viable product or at least focuses on the core something that you can start to sell even if it's not what you envision as a perfect product later on start to sell it and go from there but there really is no just other than diving in starting to build it and starting to make it there isn't an easier way to go about it really great thank you for that what are the key things to consider for a business model that works that's a very loaded question. So I'll give you a, a, a couple okay. of thoughts on it. I mean, as far as a business model that works, I, I would say that there are at least two things early on. One is that you need to find something you're passionate about. Now, I hate that in the sense that you can be very passionate about something that nobody's going to pay you for. I can love playing basketball. I can guarantee I'm never going to be a basketball player, never going to be a professional basketball player. It's just not in the cards. Not that I actually am that passionate about basketball, but that's an example. But if all you do is chase your passion, if there's nothing else, you're not going to be successful. Successful. And you also got to find what is the marketplace is going to pay for. So you have to find something that people are actually willing to pay. They're willing to buy it. There's a demand for it. And then you need to find where those two intersect. So find out what you're passionate about, what people are going to pay you for and what they actually want to pay for. And so, you know, let's say the basketball example. Maybe I'm not a good basketball player, but I love collecting basketball cards. I'm going to know all their stats. I'm going to know which ones are the best cards and I'm going to actually go out and collect them. Or maybe I'm an inventor. Now I'm going to figure out a better way to do all the data analysis analytics and scoring statistics and keep track of that whatever it is but start to find that passion so if it's basketball and it's hey i want here's a demand for it then find those two and then that's i think the best place to get started as far as a business plan business plans have oftentimes become bloated and it's long and it's in depth i would take you know a sheet of paper write down the idea, write down how you're going to do it, what you think you can charge for it. Just convince yourself, take a one pager, convince yourself this, why this is a good idea and why it's going to work. And if you can't do it, then don't go after it. If you can't take a one page and you can't convince yourself, the last thing I would do is once you write that one pager down, put it on your desk, put it on your nightstand, put it on wherever, give it one week, let it sit for a week. And if you're still as passionate and excited in a week as you were and you originally had the idea, then you'll probably have that passion to see it through. And if on the other hand, when you get to the end of that week, you're saying, yeah, that wasn't that great of an idea. It probably isn't worthwhile. Then you're probably better to move on to the next idea. Yeah, that's great. I like to put it on the nightstand for one week and, and come back to it. See how you feel. That was one that I learned for me is I'll wake up and I'll have 10 ideas before breakfast. I'll go, you know, I go 
go out for a run and that's usually where a lot of my ideas and I'll have another 10 throughout the day. And so I'm having a whole bunch of ideas and I usually find that some of them are great ideas and they actually work out well. And others are just, you know, I'm excited about it at the time and I come back a week later. And I'm like, man, that's not a very good idea. So that's one where from personal experience, I found that if I wait for a few days, then if it's a good idea, I'll still be excited. If not, I'll throw it in the trash and go on to the next one. David, what do investors look for in a startup? It depends on the type of investors. You know, it can be everything. Friends and family, they're usually just going to invest in whatever you're doing because they want to support and uh, you to be successful. You know, you can get angel investors or usually earlier on, they're taking a bigger gamble. They're going to say, okay, this isn't developed. I'm usually betting more on the team, the idea, the concept. And then you have venture capitalists. And venture capitalists typically are going to invest in a company that's already further along, either is in the marketplace and making money or it has a prototype or it's farther along the developmental process to show that it's more likely to make it. So each one of them there looks for things to make different friends and family just looking to help you out typically and invest a little bit if they are able to angel investors are really looking for what is going to be something that if it works if it catches if it goes somewhere then it's going to take off and so they're going to look for that big opportunity the other thing that they're going to look for is they're going to look for the team you know most of the time if you're a startup or a small business if you haven't developed something most of the time they're investing more in the team, the people you have built up, the people are going to be executing because they're going to say, hey, you know, a great idea that has a terrible team, not going to go anywhere. A mediocre idea that has an awesome team that's going to execute on it is likely going to be successful. So they're going to much look for the team. And then they're going to say, okay, now we've got the team. What else is proprietary? Are you guys doing something different? What's going to make you unique? What is that story? So painting that story of here's what we're doing. Here's what we do. Last thing they're going to want to look for is you have a game plan. They're going to look for and say, what is your game plan for actually how to go out and execute? How are you going to do that? How much money is this going to And they know that you're going to be wrong in the sense that most of the time when you start out, it's going to be more expensive, take more time. You're going to have to pivot and adjust. But they want to have, hey, if you thought this out to a degree that you actually show seriousness about it and you actually have the answers to do it. When you get to venture capital, they're going to look more for, hey, if I invest in this, am I going to put gasoline on the fire? Is it going to make it take off? And in the next three to five years, am I going to get an X multiple? My investments. So they're going to really look and say, is this company positioned in the next three to five years? They're going to increase X amount in valuation such that I can get my money back. So I'd say within all that, whichever it is, whether it's friends and family, angel investors, venture capital, crowdsourcing or whatever, know your audience because each of them look for different things. And depending on who you're pitching to, you need to craft your pitch in order to give it the best chance because no two investors are going to be the same and different types of investors are also not going to be the same. So get to know your audience and that's going to be the best part to make it more successful. Thank you for that information. How do you increase the valuation for your business? Yeah. Easiest thing is sales. <laughs> I mean, sales is always the number one key. You know, if you want to increase your business and it's increasing in sales now, profitability, you know, with exception, if you go to some of the crazy Silicon Valleys, you know, you got an Amazon that or hasn't, wasn't profitable for a long time. Uber that wasn't, you know, you see those, those are the huge successes. Most of the time, that's not reality. You know, sometimes it is, but a lot of times it is that sales showing traction, showing viability, showing that you're increasing year over year, you're multiplying. That's one thing. The other thing that's going to increase your evaluation and it's a self-biased answer is how you're going to protect that. And so that's, you know, that oftentimes, not always, but goes into intellectual property. And so now, okay, now we've got our secret sauce. We've got something that makes us unique. Now what stops other people from coming along and knocking it off or doing the same thing or doing something better? And that can be in the form of, hey, we've got a really good strong brand. We've got to protect it. Or, hey, we've got our intellectual property with patents. It's going to stop others from knocking us off. Or, hey, we just got a really good team. And yes, you could technically do it, but it's going to be hard to replicate 
replicate the knowledge and the team and everything else, but figure out what is proprietary about you and how to protect it. And those two things, if you can go out, get good sales and, and protect it, what it is that makes you special and proprietary, those are going to be the two best ways to increase that valuation and increase the value of your company. Now, what is the number one book that you would advise an early entrepreneur to read? You know, if you're looking for a fun book, I like the, that will never work, but that one's not necessarily for business advice. It's just an interesting book to read. If I were to get into kind of one where I like more of the business, the perspective and give you thoughts and feedbacks, I like Dave Ramsey's, um, it's called Entree Leadership and it's kind of the entrepreneurship and leadership, hence entree leadership, and kind of where those mix and how to be both a good leader and a good entrepreneur and how to do both. And it gives you some, you know, pretty good step-by-step or tips or things to consider that are more actionable about it. So that's, that's a great book, I think, to start out with. Could you tell us a little bit about freestrategy.com before we close off? Yeah, and you can either go to freestrategymeeting.com or strategymeeting.com. So either of those work great. So, But really what I did was set that up. So that link's ranked to my calendar. You can go in and find a little about what, uh, you know, intellectual property and what it is. But then really what it's set up to is that to go and grab a 15-minute free consult where I can sit down with you, answer some questions, go through what you have going on, strategize with you a bit. It's set up because I work with a lot of startups and, you know, I always tend to define that they were nervous about going into an attorney because they didn't want to have to pay their hourly rate. They didn't want to have to go spend a few hundred dollars just to figure out, hey, we don't need that because they're saying we don't have the money to just go and expend it yet. And they're worried it's going to be expensive. So really the strategymeeting.com was I set it up. So, hey, you can grab a bit of time with me. No obligation, free of charge to sit down and strategize. Here we have going on. Brainstorm with you a bit. Let you know kind of what prices to be looking at, when you might want to think about it. All of those things. And so it's an easy way to just grab some time. So if you go there, links right to my calendar, gives you whatever day and times worker are convenient for you and lets you just uh, grab some time to chat. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really great that you're doing that. Because like you said, people think lawyer and they think, oh, hourly rate. And... <laughs> <laughs> They think hourly rate, that that's expensive. And can I really trust them? That's usually the first thing that goes through their head. But yeah, so all the above. If you want to get their chat, you can just go to strategymeeting.com. Thank you. Now, our last question that we always ask before we close off, Devin, is what has faith meant to you on your journey? Yeah, so I'm member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as Mormon or LDS. And so I'm, you know, I'm pretty active in my church. I go every week. I, you know, I read the, the scriptures and everything else. And so it's, for me, it's a big part of my journey just because it means everything. Faith and religion is, I don't think you can separate it in the sense that I think, that, you know, business bleeds over to your personal life. Personal life bleeds over to your religious life. Religious life bleeds over to personal and business life. And so you really have to find how you balance all that. So, you know, when I'm looking for guidance as to what I want to do, along with studying it out in my own mind, talk with mentors, I also, you know, ponder it and think about it and look at the religious overlaps and how I conduct business. If I want to treat other people with good customer service and I want to treat them how they'd want to be treated, how I want to, you know, be honest in my dealings and kind of all of those principles that I do in my personal life, I also think that they should apply to your business life. And so as I'm doing that, you know, it gives me a lot of guiding principles as to what how I should be conducting my business life that I think are good business principles. I think they're good or what business principles that actually make your business better when you implement them. If you got any value out of today's episode, please do leave a review and let us know what kind of guests you'd like us to bring on and what exactly it is that you'd like to know. Also connect with us on Instagram at Reinventing Perspectives. Or visit our website, www.reinventingperspectives.com, where you can grab a free preview of our latest book, The Christian Entrepreneur's Toolkit. Thank you so much for listening in. We absolutely value your time and we value your input. Have a great day.